Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, we're coming now to the end of our series on stewardship. We have just two final installments. I think these last two are the most important ones. We've been spending our time looking at how to steward all of life in a strange new world, in a culture that is coming apart. We've addressed our current situation and uh, we've acknowledged that it's been on our minds and affected our hearts and encouraged us sometimes to fear rather than to faith. But our aim in the series has been to uh, encourage faith and faithfulness over fear and flight, even under pressure. And today we want to come to the close. We want to begin to come to the close with our two final installments. And we want to look at what it means to be good stewards ultimately, and this is important, of ourselves. What does it take to be a good steward of myself in a culture that is rapidly changing, increasingly hostile, and at the same time showing signs of coming apart? In order to do that, I want to take you to what is an an extraordinary passage, I think, for all that it says in in such a brief uh, span of verses, Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. Now, the situation of the church at Corinth is basically this. Corinth or Colossae, Colossae, the Colossians, Colossae is a city filled with a complex mix of religions and philosophies and cultural movements that are always competing for the Colossians' attention. Much like our situation today, there are false teachers, false ideas that have come into their lives, making great promises with great authority, offering rules for how life should be lived, could be lived, and could be lived better than they are living it now as followers of Christ. This false teaching, and I want you to see and understand this, is coming to them well thought out, coherent. Uh, It can be very compelling. In fact, it is very attractive. The problem is that these false ideas and false teachings uh, actually challenge and question the place of Christ at the very center of history and of eternity. And Paul is writing to the uh, Colossians with a, to give them, wants to give them the resources that they need to fend off these false ideas and these false teachers. And so here's what he says. And this is vital for us. He says, now look, if you then, have been raised with Christ. And he's not questioning whether or not they're believers. We might read this also saying, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here's something else you need to do. Set your minds on things that are above, not, third thing, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died. Just like verse one, you've been raised, you've died. 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, Father, we've looked together carefully at how we might steward your truth, at how we might steward your church. We've looked at how we might steward our relationships, especially our relationships with with our children. We've looked at how we might steward our wealth, our money, and our possessions. But today, today, we begin to look at how we might take care of, nurture, use our very lives for your good and glory and for the good of this world. This, Father, is where the struggle is ultimately. And this is where fully we need and finally we need your help. So grant over this Sunday and the Sunday to come that you would give us all that we need that we might be indeed before you and before a watching world, good stewards of these brief lives that you've given to us. And I pray and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to notice something with me. If you've got your Bible open, let's, let's walk through chapters one and two of Colossians before we get to our focal passage. I want you to see some things. I want you to notice some things. When you read the letter of Paul to the Colossians, there are three, three realities that become immediately apparent, not only for the Colossians, but for you and me as followers of Christ. Three realities that we really can't ignore and be good stewards of ourselves. What are they? Well, let me show them to you. The first reality that, that is so very prominent that forms part of every believer's situation in whatever age they live in, is the preeminence of Christ. Look with me at uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Your life, if you're a follower of Christ, the lives of those first century uh, Colossians were mar- was marked by this reality. It is the preeminence of Christ. A beautiful, beautiful hymn in verses 15 through 20. Here Paul says of Christ, Christ is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Christ. He is the firstborn of all creation, the source of everything there is that you can see, taste, touch, and feel. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Christ has authority over the realm we can see Christ has authority over the realm that we cannot see, a realm, the supernatural realm, that is every bit as real as the natural realm. Here is the Christ that you say you follow. All things were created not only through him, he says, look at the end of verse 16, but for him. Everything exists for his Glory, And he is therefore before all things and in him all things co-inhere or hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the proof that resurrection is coming for you and I rests in Christ. For in him, or so that in everything he might be pre eminent. He might be first. 
he might be central. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul, right out of the gate, wants to remind the Colossians of who their Christ is. This is a reality. Now, let me say to you, all of these realities are realities whether we acknowledge them or not. But we've got to see and recognize this reality first. This marks our very lives. Christ, Paul reminds the Colossians, is to be seen as central, kept as supreme, known as all-sufficient. If we're going to be good stewards of our lives, Christ has to be seen always as central, kept as supreme over life, and known as sufficient for all of life. And so ultimately, Paul's theme for the entire letter is this, keep Christ close, keep Christ first. If you're going to be a good steward of your life, keep Christ close, keep Christ first. There's a second reality that believers live with in this world, and it is this, it is an ever-present danger. We have a Christ who is preeminent, but we also have a, a danger that is ever-present. It's interesting. Look at verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, while they've been rescued and delivered from the domain of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light by Christ, who is himself this center of life, supreme over life and sufficient for life, believers are at the same time, he goes on to say in chapter 2, the objects of a, of a fierce struggle for control over their lives. And so they must be very, very careful. Why? Well, he spells it out in chapter two. Paul says that there are those who would deceive them, verse four. And they would deceive them, verse four, in order to take them captive, verse eight. And they would take them captive with the aim of disqualifying them from, from all that God has for them in Christ. There is a force, there are forces at work in the world that labor to deceive believers in order to take them captive. It's a, it's a curious picture. Christ has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness, put us in his kingdom of light, and yet there is a struggle that continues over who will hold or have sway over our lives. There are those who would still take us captive. Let's just say prisoners of war, if you will. We've been brought into the kingdom of light, but there, there are forces that want to knock us, if you will, out of commission. Keep us from being and keep us from being uh, qualified for all that Christ has for us and for being effective in our mission. They want to take us captive. Now, the way they do this is, is, is uh, very, very important. They do it with captivating, alluring arguments, ideas, and ways of looking at the world that denigrate what Christ has done and can do for us. He, he repeats this again and again through chapter two. Arguments and ideas that seem to be smart and effective for getting ahead and for getting along in this life. And what is more, those who offer these ideas, 
They seduce and they patronize and they intimidate believers all in, in it with an effort to let go of dependence on Christ as their head, as their source of life, in an effort to help them or cause them to adapt or adopt this new way or, or this false way of thinking and living in the world. Peer pressure is another way it might be described, and it is an ancient practice. Ultimately, the aim of these forces and the people associated with them, Paul says, is to separate and isolate believers from the one who alone can nourish them, keep them together, cause them to grow and experience the life God promises. Look at verse 19. The aim of these forces and these people associated with them, Paul says, is to separate and isolate believers from the one who alone can nourish them, keep them together, cause them to grow and experience the life God promises, he who is their head. And Paul says these forces and people, and this is so important for us, they can succeed. They can succeed in separating us, not from Christ, but from his nourishment. Not from Christ, but from his uh, sustenance, his stability, his strength, the growth that he gives. They can't separate us ultimately from our, in our relationship, but they can keep us from all that Christ has for us. They can, but they don't necessarily have to because of a third great reality. Alongside the reality of the supremacy of Christ and this ever-present danger of being isolated, separated from all that Christ would do for us is a third reality, and that is the reality of the believer's position in this world. And Paul mentions it in verse 20 of chapter two, but also in verses one and three in our passage. The reason that the forces working against them can be, and Paul is encouraging here in chapter three, can be overcome, is that believers, all believers have a distinct place in this world that works against those who are working against them. They are in Christ. Paul uses the phrase in Christ some 127 times in his letters and in his writing. It is so very, very important for this concept of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be with him in this world. We have a distinct place in this world that is so inherently dangerous to us, we are united in Christ, united spiritually to Christ. Theologians call it union with Christ. This union with Christ gives believers an advantage, offers them protection from those forces working to separate, isolate, and take them captive. They have a shared, and this is Paul's point, they have a shared past with Christ. They have a shared present with Christ. They have a shared future with Christ. And that shared past, present, and future can transform them and protect them from those who seek to gain control over them. Notice with me, both in, in verse 20 of chapter two and again in chapter three, verse three, Paul reminds them that they've died spiritually with Christ to the things of the world so that these things no longer need have the allure or the power they once had over them. 
Verse one of chapter three, believers have also been spiritually raised with Christ to have a new life. They're capable of living in new ways contrary to the world. And what is more, because they are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection, believers now live spiritually with the very presence of Christ in them, giving them power to live as Christ directs. And giving them ultimately the mind of Christ to think rightly about what matters. A mind that allows them to see this world and eternity as they really are. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, you have the mind of Christ. You've been given, if you will, the, the lenses of Christ to see and understand what is right and good and true, what matters and what doesn't matter, what is, what is false and what is the truth. Now, understanding the real situation we're in and the supremacy of Christ and the ever-present uh, danger of our situation and the spiritual position we have in Christ. Understanding these things is vital. If we aren't going to be taken captive, if we're not going to be cut off from the one who is our life and the source of our hope and our stability, it's the mind and the heart of Christ in us that are always under pressure in the world. And that is ultimately what Paul is getting at here. And so he says in chapter three, verse one, he says, seek those things that are above. What he's really saying there is set your heart on Christ. In verse two, he says, set your mind on things above. That is focus your mind on Christ. At the end of verse two, he says, and don't set your mind on the things of this world. He says, watch out for the distractions that the world would give you, those attractive distractions that would cause you to turn your affection and your attention from Christ to, to something else. Because as soon as that happens, you experience a disconnection from him who is your strength, your nurture, your supply, your stability, him who is everything you need in a world that is upside down. And in our era of cultural chaos and maximum distraction, this danger is ours every bit as much as it was for the Colossians. In fact, I think it is greater Can I see your iPhone? If you get a great message, I'll, I'll look at it and then tell you what it is. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, I walked into a place and literally every single person in the place was doing this. We were on vacation not too long ago and all these families were in a restaurant and guess what they were doing? Talking, having deep conversations about meaningful things and getting to know each other better. No, and neither were Cheryl and I because we were watching everybody else. <laughs> and I was saying, 
Can you believe that? We don't have to look very far to see evidence of captivity in our culture. It has finally happened. Televisions have gotten to be the size of our hands and we cannot put them down. In fact, you're very nervous, aren't you, right now? That I... <laughs> have you ever lost your phone and gone into a panic? I have too. Captive. And the captivity starts with a distraction that leads to an attraction that refocuses our affections and our attentions and ultimately gains control of our lives and our behavior. Nice case. Do you want it back? Yeah. You had no idea this was going to happen, did you? No. Well, you handled it really well. You see, part of what Paul is saying to us is, is if we aren't careful as followers of Jesus, we can lose the heart of Christ. We can lose the mind of Christ by being distracted, attracted to other things. And it's the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, that together give us the very things we need when chaos and distractions are bringing everyone else to their knees. It's the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ, the ability to love what he loves and the ability to see what he sees that allows Christians, followers of Jesus, the capacity to be strong, to be stable, to have hope, to have confidence, to have clarity around the things that matter most in life. But we lose the heart and mind of Christ when, as Paul describes it in chapter 219, we lose connection with Christ who is our head. And just like a physical body needs a living connection with its head, and in the same way that a spinal cord injury debilitates the body, believers need a living connection with Christ, with his heart, with his mind, in order to be healthy, in order to be strong, when others aren't and can't be. As Paul puts it so well in verse four, he says, Christ is our life. And as he shows us in verse two, the way believers lose their connection with our head is often by way of beautiful distractions that work to reset our hearts and reset our minds on earthly things. In a Christian's life, Paul is showing us any distraction from Christ leads to a disconnection with Christ and makes us vulnerable to being taken captive 
and missing all that Christ has to give us. Now, how we can avoid this and the steps we can take, we will look at in depth next time we're together. But suffice it to say that given every believer's situation and position, Paul gives believers strong encouragement to do at least four things to steward themselves well. And he shows us that we've got to constantly attend to our affections, to our attention, to our distractions, and to our destiny. In fact, he says we've got to protect our affections, pay attention to our attention, beware all of the distractions, and claim our true identity and destiny if we're going to live and steward our lives well. So today I want you to see this simple truth. The great strategy being used against believers is the same strategy being used against the ancient Colossians, captivating distractions away from Christ that lead to captivity and disconnection with Christ. If we're going to stay free in Christ and not be taken captive, if we're going to keep growing in Christ and not be shut out of our new birthright and all that God has for us in Christ, if we're to become the people he desires and deserves and not something less, Christ has to be kept close and Christ has to be kept first. And the way we do that, first and foremost of all, is limiting the distractions and increasing the contact limiting the distractions that would lure us away from Christ and increasing our contact with Christ. And so as um, we enter this week, as we finish up this Sunday and head into this next week, I, I wanna leave you with a challenge. In fact, I wanna challenge you over the next five days to practice dialing down your distractions and dialing up your connection with Christ. Mark, if you let me see those materials. I wanna challenge you over the next five days to spend more time feasting on Christ. And I wanna challenge you to spend less time feasting on social media and the internet, except of course for work. Now, if you gotta do it for work, you gotta go to LinkedIn, then that would be fine, I guess. But I wanna challenge you to fast from social media, from time online, and replace that this week with feasting on the word of God. Now to help you, I have something for you under your chair. Not your, yeah, right underneath your chair. See if you can find it. First, what you'll find is that uh, you have a card describing this fasting and feasting. It's a fasting and feasting guide. It has an overall explanation of, of our goal for the time and then gives you a description of three specific goals for the week. Substituting, number one, the distractions of social media with prayer. We're suggesting to you that you use the daily prayer app and the idea, can I use your phone again? I just should have brought mine. <laughs> All right. 
What I'm suggesting to you is, and, and, and almost everybody in this room is going to understand this. You pick up your phone, you look at it if you've got a later model. If you don't, you're doing other things, punching <laughs> buttons or swiping up, whatever. And immediately you go somewhere. Don't you? Email, TikTok, TikTok, or TikTok. Or the news, for me, it's the news. Immediately, you pick it up and you've got to check it. Here's what we want to challenge you to do. Do you see the QR codes? There is a great prayer app. And here's what I want to challenge you to do is through the day when you pick this up for something other than school or work, I want to challenge you, load that app on your uh, launch page, go straight to the app. Get in, get in the practice of picking up, swiping, and praying instead of picking up, swiping, and wasting time so that you're praying through the day. I want to challenge you. Secondly, the second part of the, uh, the second goal for this is that you would spend time every morning uh, and evening in the Word of God, that you would reset and refocus your mind. So what we've done is we've provided you with a reading and reflecting journal for time to spend in the morning. The instructions are right in the very beginning, right in the opening, the first three uh, pages or so. There's an example of how it is used. You see it's written in blue there. We wanna challenge you to spend time Monday in James 1, Tuesday in James 2, Wednesday in James 3, Thursday in James 4, Friday in James 5. That's right. The idea is this week to start your day set on Christ by increasing contact with him in his word. James 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So before you do anything else, I mean, get your coffee, that kind of thing. You gotta be awake to do this. Get your coffee, meet the master. And then the goal is through the day, be praying instead of looking. I better give this back to you or I'll, I'll walk off with it. Be, pray, be praying instead of looking. And then at the end of the day, here's what we wanna ask you to do. We've, we've suggested five Psalms. And if you've got, uh, if you've got, uh, you, you, you live with your family, it would be a great thing, wonderful thing to aim this week, if at all possible, as many times as possible, to eat a meal together, read a psalm together, talk about what you've seen God do or what you're grateful for and pray together. So that as a family, you're refocusing your minds as the day comes to an end on the one who gave you the day, who blessed you, who walked with you, who, who uh, guided you through the day. Psalms are, are there, they're in the first, the, the first book of Psalms, are beautiful Psalms. Read them out loud, share them. If you're single, find a brother or sister in Christ. Call them at a set time in the evening. Read the Psalm together over the phone. Talk about what you're grateful for, pray together. I wanna challenge you 
This, this is going to be very, very hard for most of us, but I want to challenge you. I, I thought about asking you just to set your phone down and, and uh, not use any apps, but then I thought, why ask for the impossible? And one of our staff came up with this great idea. Let's give them a different app to go to. So a prayer app. And that's why we have staff because they, are, they add so much to my mediocre ideas. Uh, I'm grateful for them. I really am. Love our staff. But um, I want to challenge you to do this and see the difference that connecting consistently over your head, your leader, the one who nurtures you, who, who supports you, see the difference it makes when you're spending more time reading James than you are looking at someone's latest post. Are you up for it? Yes. <laughs> okay. By the way, a couple of books I would recommend to you. Now, this is a great book written by women for women. I could not find a great book written by men for men on social media. I just couldn't. We looked and looked. We can't find it. So men could read this too. But ladies, it really is phenomenal. Social sanity in an Insta world. And my whole aim for recommending this to you is because of this ever-present danger that Paul talks about with the Colossians of being distracted from the one who matters most. Another great book for families is The TechWise Family. Particularly if you have children, teenagers in the house, I can't recommend this book uh, enough to help you help your kids not find themselves uh, taken captive. All right. Now, Lord God, as we uh, have looked at your word today and gotten a good overview of this letter to the Colossians, we're grateful today, Father, to be reminded of the preeminence of Christ, of his centrality, of his sufficiency, of his supremacy. And Lord, today we confess there is no one and nothing like him. How thankful we are for the life that he gives us. How thankful we are for the promises that are ours in him. That we are safe and we are secure. We are loved and we are accepted. Lord, I pray that today as we celebrate the preeminence of Christ, we might also be realistic about our situation in this world. That we are in the midst of a struggle and, and the struggle is for our minds and our hearts. The minds and the hearts of our children and Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that what we love matters. How we think matters. What we allow to distract us impacts our affections and our attentions and ultimately can captive, captivate us and then make us captives. 
Father, today, we pray that you would give us a fresh, clearer understanding, that it would become settled in our hearts that we live all of our lives with our lives hidden with your son, Jesus, in your presence, that we are in Christ, that what defines us, what gives us our identity and our status in this world is not what the world says about us, but it is anchored in what you've done for us. We died when Christ died. We were raised when Christ was raised. And every moment of every day that we spend, we are living in Christ and Christ is living in us, giving us the capacity to live with him and for him. Because we've been united to your son, our past is settled, our present can be strong and our future is certain. And all of these realities, all of these truths, you give to us and mean for us to live by them, live out of them. You mean to protect us from those distractions, those deceits that would tell us that life, the point of living, is something to be found elsewhere other than in the living Christ. Grant, Lord God, as we fast from the influences of the world and feast on your word this week, that you might surprise and delight us with a fresh experience of your presence and the power of your word for Jesus' sake. Make us, Lord God, as we keep Christ close and keep him first. My prayer is that you would open our eyes afresh, that with the heart and mind of Christ, we might see the lost around us, the hurting and the broken, that we might see them in their lostness, that our hearts might be broken for them, that we might have and know the courage to share the gospel of this Christ who came so that the dead might live. Do it, Father, for Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.